what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a forum where we hold conversations monthly about the challenges and the joys of caring for our aging parents and also caring for ourselves. My name is Jane Everson, and I'm here with my co-host, Frances Hall. How are you doing today, Frances? I'm just great. I'm Thank glad you. to hear that. Frances and I are among an estimated 10 million adults in the United States and many more millions worldwide who are caring for our aging parents, but also concerned about ourselves as we age. In this session, we're going to be talking about setting, balancing family, setting boundaries while we care for our aging parents, and again, taking care of ourselves. Every caregiving situation is unique, of course, and every caregiver and every aging parent is unique. But no matter where we live and no matter how we spend our days, most of us seem to struggle with juggling caregiving for our parents, the time we spend with our spouses and our own children, doing our jobs, making time for volunteer work, as well as attending to our own personal health. How do we keep from feeling guilty? How do we set boundaries? I have no idea. How do we (laughs) juggle it all? These are just some of the questions that we're going to be chatting about today in the caregiver community. We are fortunate to have a guest today by the name of Dr. Isabel Eustace. Dr. Eustace is a board-certified psychiatrist with specialization in geriatric psychiatry. She earned her medical degree from Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana, and she completed a geriatric residency with the University of South Florida in Tampa. Dr. Eustace has been the staff psychiatrist with Catawba Valley Medical Center in Hickory, North Carolina since 2012. Isabel, we are delighted to have you here today. Welcome to the caregiver community. Thank you for having me. Let's start with kind of a basic question. Everyone I know, certainly Francis and I, Talk about guilt all the time. I feel guilty when I'm not with my mother. I feel guilty when I am with my mother. I feel guilty when I'm not with my husband. I feel guilty when I'm not with my children. I feel guilty when I'm not at work. What is guilt? In this setting, I define it as a feeling that you've failed an obligation or that a feeling that you've done something wrong. Um, and it certainly can apply to um, not meeting a parent's expectations in your mind or perhaps that you'd let somebody down by not doing something you wish you had or doing something that you wish you should not have done. That makes a lot of sense. Are there different kinds of guilt, or is guilt just guilt? That's a good question. I would say there is healthy guilt, and then there is unhealthy guilt, or what we call as false guilt, feeling responsible for something that you had no control um, over something in which you had no control over, an event that happened that you uh, were not at all um, able to control. For example, with someone who is, as a child is molested, or even in the caregiver setting, feeling guilt about the situation that the parent is suffering uh, with, for example, uh, mm-hmm. an illness or dementia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So feeling guilty for a loss that your parent might have, or if your mom falls, really isn't very functional unless you pushed her. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Well, if we know that some guilt is functional or healthy, some guilt's not, what are some strategies for managing it? How can we feel less guilty? Well, what I try to do is to help caregivers recognize that they are limited in what 
they can control, especially in terms of what's going on with an illness with their, their parent or in, ter- in, in the parent's suffering. And I try to work with caregivers to say there are many things that you can do that can make the situation better but perhaps we can't change what the parent is going through. Mm-hmm. And that makes just sense. small acts of kindness, being present, which I feel many caregivers don't give themselves credit for. Mm-hmm. If they're just present <clears throat> and being loving and kind, small actions are, are, are very important to the, the parent or the person being cared for. I think that's a great observation, something we do Absolutely. forget. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Isabel, another common concern that we hear about is that in a variety of ways that we as adult child caregivers sometimes feel like we have an inability to set boundaries with our parents. They're the parent, we're the child, Mm -hmm. even though we are adults. And often resentment can come because of the lack of boundaries. For example, my mother calls me twice a day with errands she needs me to run. Or, my father expects me to take off work every time he has a medical appointment. Or, my mother goes everywhere we go. Talk a little about setting boundaries. What does that mean and why is it important? Certainly it's important because the caregiver has to take care of themselves and they're the rational one who can do that. Whereas, usually if the if someone is being cared for, that person who's being cared for lacks that ability to um, take care of the caregiver. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I always Mm -hmm. ask the caregiver to say, look, if you had the best case scenario, what do you think would be the most helpful for you to keep you at your best when you meet with your mother or your father or if you're caring for someone else? And usually it's they say, well, I'm well-rested, I'm in a position where I'm kind and loving. I'm, I don't say things that I will re- regret later, uh, such as that. And then we try to work on, okay, if you want to be that way, what are some of the things you can do to really make that situation work? And I tell them then you're not going to be visiting them or caregiving for them um, your expectations, perhaps, of how the how things should go, they'd have to be lowered, right? You might not be able to make them all clean or happy with everything that you've done, or with you know that the bed wasn't made the way you wanted they wanted it made. Just limit your um, standards, and again, try to just make every interaction as positive as you can. And that really fits with that guilt issue, Mm -hmm. that it's really hard because we want so much to do everything we can. And so it's so hard to allow ourselves to come down in those expectations of ourselves, and particularly when there is a parent who is in some way telling us that, no, you're supposed to do more. Mm -hmm. That's, That's a hard one. And that's another thing, that feeling of, Sometimes we say it in our heads, we're supposed to do more, so then we feel guilty. Well, a lot of times that, that guilt is, it's not really, a, a, it's not rational, really. There is nothing more than we can do other than what we're doing. We wish we could prevent this illness. We wish we could help mom not be in pain. 
we wish mom would be happy now and we wish she had a happy past. Mm-hmm. All that sort of piles on to us and we really need to focus on I can't take responsibility for all of those things. I need to recognize that just because I feel guilty does not mean you are guilty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's yeah. a really important statement and one we yeah. all could remember more frequently. Absolutely. So given all of that, how do we determine appropriate boundaries for ourselves? And once we have realized, recognized that we've violated them, can we reset them? Absolutely. Certainly. Every moment of the day, we have an opportunity to improve things. <laughs> every step we Shoo. make. That's Thank right. That's goodness. right. And I think every caregiver can honestly say to themselves, I am doing this because I want to make things better for my loved one and for myself. So there's really no need to feel guilty about something that went wrong. So I try to say, look, you really have to start with a clean slate every time you initiate something new. Be kind, be forgiving of yourself, and recognize at that moment I was trying to do the best I could. And it sounds probably easier than, than, it, than it is, but you'd be surprised the more you practice it, live in the moment, and recognize you're not here to make everything better in your uh, loved one's past and future, you're here to make the present as best as you can. Good insight. Yeah, I like that insight a lot. I think we do get caught up in feeling, at least I do, guilty because perhaps my mother's past wasn't happy. And I know rationally it's not my fault, but I still want to make her even more happy Mm -hmm. now. And then I feel guilty when I do something that doesn't make her happy. And perhaps how she communicates uh, someone's... Uh, how they complain or fuss about this and that. This is what they're comfortable with. So changing it isn't always the best thing, but acknowledging it, which Mm -hmm. I think we all know. I'm sorry you're feeling that way. How can I help you allowing that person Mm -hmm. just to, to vent? Mm-hmm. But then how can how can I help you? Because I certainly get caught in this. Mm-hmm. Is how can I help you? And the response is, well, I don't know. So then I try to figure out mm-hmm. how to help. Mm-hmm. I try to fix. So you won't feel guilty for not helping. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so what you're saying is simply acknowledge and go with their response. And be present. I, I really present. like the idea of being present and just thinking to yourself, this is what I can do right now is be here with mom. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, brush her hair, give her a back rub, watch a good show with her, listen to a song that she's enjoyed from the past, ask her about what she's most happy about with her past. Mm-hmm. I really like the the living in the present and um, lowering your expectations, mm-hmm. just setting expectations that maybe are reasonable for what you can give and what your parent can receive at the moment. Yes, I because I see good. caregivers asking me what can be done for my loved one. And sometimes those requests, of, can you do this, can I need them to learn how to do this now or do this, I have to let them know that expectation is not a, not appropriate because they can't they're not there. Mm-hmm. We they won't be able to do that, and so it's our job, mm-hmm. your job, to recognize. I got to work with them where they are. 
I think it gets back to the advice we often hear. We can only change our own behavior. That's right. And we are supposedly the rational, mature beings in this dyad, and, and our parents may not be as they age. Yeah, good. Let's change um, direction just a little bit. I introduced you, Isabel, as being a psychiatrist. Tell me and our listeners, what exactly is a psychiatrist, and how is a psychiatrist different from a psychologist? So... Psychiatrists are uh, medically trained, so they have a, gone to medical school, and then we do a residency like every other area of medicine, which is four years. And then on top of that, you can specialize in the area, for example, child psychiatry, mm-hmm. adult psychiatry, and geriatric psychiatry. And we not only do we learn uh, how to work with people to teach them to change their thinking and behaviors in a more positive way, but we learn about the chemical background that perhaps predisposes us to have illnesses, for example, schizophrenia, major depression, anxiety, dementia, Mm -hmm. and how to use medications along with that, whereas the psychologist would be not wouldn't use the medication. Mm-hmm. The psychologist hasn't gone to medical school, so we deal exclusively with therapy or counseling. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why would an adult child caregiver and the parents consider scheduling an appointment with a psychiatrist? When would that be appropriate? When the caregiving becomes so difficult because of the patient's behaviors or mood that they're not able to really do what they need to do. For example, a patient, the caregiver may not be able to dress or bathe the, the loved one. And it's not a medical problem. It's not that they're in pain. What's going on that mm-hmm. I could help with that? Or the patient perhaps is disturbed that they're seeing things in the home during the evening hour and it interrupts their sleep, interrupts their eating, interrupts their daily life to the point where they have no quality of life. They are distraught. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are mm-hmm. just a few. So if you, if you suspect something like really significant long-term anxiety or depression or dementia perhaps resulting in, as you said, seeing things or really confusing time and place and have already gone to your parents' general practitioner and not feeling that that's really working, really following up then with a psychiatrist. Yes, that's exactly what I do, where the simple interventions or typical uh, stepwise interventions are not helping and I failed to mention that paranoia, which does often come along mm-hmm. with dementia, that can really weave a very difficult web into the caregiver uh, situation mm-hmm. because the patient will persist that there's something going on mm-hmm. and the caregiver becomes exhausted. Mm-hmm. May accuse the caregiver of stealing their money or their purse, or yes, we, we hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I can educate the caregiver on what's behind that uh, physiologically uh, in terms of what's going on in the brain. And then also we can use medications 
in a stepwise fashion from very uh, minimal side effects to mm-hmm. more interventions, but again, working towards having appropriate caregiver mm-hmm. um, interaction. Mm-hmm. Good. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.tv. Let's go in a little different direction. Let's talk about some other aspects of the caregiving that a lot of times we don't talk about. Um, Most of us have other relationships. How do we honor the the care recipient, our loved one, while we also honor those other relationships, particularly when caregiving is going to last or does last for lots of hours in a day, over lots of weeks or months or even years? That's a good question, and I see that quite often caregivers sometimes don't recognize the boundaries of what they need to uh, keep with the person there, the loved one, and also with their family members. I always try to reverse the situation and say to the caregiver, for example, if, if your mother was in her right mind and in her best state, I'm sure she would want you to take care of yourself, take care of your relationships, take care of your family, uh, as opposed to draining yourself. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that's helpful. Just the reminder that it, you, you, this is a normal feeling, but your mom would not want you to feel this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That she wouldn't want you to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That that's actually not a healthy way to go. And to certainly include loved ones in the difficulties that you're having. And sometimes caregivers want to do it all, and they have high expectations of how it all should be done. Mm -hmm. And I ask caregivers to say, what we need to do is to find things that your loved, that the people you're in a relationship with, they can help you and be part of your life, and for you to be happy with what they do and not comment that it's not to your expectation but to allow them to be a part of what you're doing and to help you. Sometimes caregivers who have been doing this for a long time have a difficult time allowing other people to help them and I have to say it's really important that you let someone help you and that you participate in your married in your relationship with your husband because that makes you more healthy. You, you need to be a team. Often that helps to say it's easier to be a team. And some of that depends on the relationship between not only the, the spouses or the partners, but also the, the care recipient and the other person. I mean, that, that gets into all kinds of dynamics. It does. I, I often have people who the care... If the relationship between the loved one who's being cared for and the caregiver is perhaps not as healthy as we'd like it to be, perhaps there was dysfunction growing up, then what I have, it's often helpful if I ask the caregiver, look, bring your healthy partner into this dynamic. And it might help the one that's being cared for be a little bit more 
appropriate. I'm smiling as you say that, Isabel, because I see that so much in, in my household. My husband is a saint with my mother, an absolute saint. And my mother is a saint around my husband. And when I leave the two of them alone... Initially, I would worry and worry and think, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to have this fight, and he's going to say this, and she's going to say that. Inevitably, they go out to dinner, have a glass of wine, laugh, talk sports, and I'm sitting with Francis going, oh, no, I should be at home, I should be at home, I should be at home. But then the next day, my mother will say, well, your husband said this, or your husband said that, and I didn't know this was going on, or I wouldn't have done that. And then we're back at ground zero, and I go to my husband saying, how come you told her this? And he said, I didn't. We were just talking. So sometimes it really is important to to keep in mind that dyad and to to share, but to realize that he might have a different perspective, and maybe that's a better perspective, healthier perspective anyway than mine at this point. Every aging parent is unique, of course. We can't really give perfect answers for everything, but I think there are some typical scenarios that you've probably seen in your work with patients and their families. For example, when adult children and their parents who have been estranged or there's been a rocky relationship and now all of a sudden caregiving becomes really important, uh, what kind of issues arise? Often I see people bring the baggage from the past to that present relationship and not recognize that we're probably not going to be able to change some of the interactions that go on. But being the healthy caregiver, I try to teach the caregiver that this, your mother's an orange and we can never make her an apple. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we should almost expect a certain response and be okay with that. But, again, living in the moment of you being the adult and providing loving, caring responses and perhaps thinking into the future of what you hope to, how you hope the relationship with your loved one ends up. How you hope that you know that when things are, when you've, this, when you stop t- taking care of your loved one, over. when the journey is over, thank you, how do you really want to feel that you, you, you played your cards? How did you do And you, often you have to sort of say, I'm going to not go back to that. I'm really going to look at how I can make this a better situation. Sometimes that means shortening the visits because sometimes that's difficult to do. So I say... Really, you shouldn't be there for longer than 15 minutes if you're visiting. Mm-hmm. And again, lowering the expectation of how this situation can be. Mm-hmm. It may just be the best it can be that you're there for your mom to, or father to vent and just be supportive, but not that you can really change some of their dissatisfaction with perhaps you because, again, you're the one who's with the healthy attitude knowing that it's probably um, they're not coming from a, a place that's healthy. I like what you said earlier, Isabel, about um, how would you be behaving if you were behaving at your best. I really like that, and I think that's something maybe we could all remember because I often leave interactions with my mother thinking that wasn't even me I'm not that kind of person those aren't my values that's not the language I want to be using and yet I step away and I think okay this is what I really want to be this is how I'm going to start that day so I, I think just keeping that in my mind more frequently and then living in the moment if I can have a good five minute interaction isn't that wonderful 
And just because they bring those emotions out in you and they treat you in a certain fashion doesn't mean that you're not a healthy adult who's made it past all the difficulties. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something yeah. we need to remember. What about setting boundaries with aging parents with mental health concerns like chronic alcoholism or drug abuse or even chronic anxiety or depression? Again, limiting your expectation. For example, uh, if a person has a lot of anxiety, you can say, you can try to um, distract them, but oftentimes this may just be their baseline. Setting limits and what, how good you can make a person feel. It is not your responsibility to remove that anxiety from them, but to perhaps to be kind and loving in that in those 15 minutes or to recognize sometimes people are more comfortable in the anxious state than not right <laughs> or even the depressed state so they may voice that it's very uncomfortable but sometimes that's how they communicate and of course become you, so familiar and yeah, they get familiar. reinforced good mm-hmm. right. and yeah. and then i just good say point. leave it if 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 i can't help it perhaps with a medication or it, if we've addressed it the best we can, we've got to just be comfortable with the way it is. And then with alcoholism, I guess I always say, you know, safety first. People should not right. be driving if they're inappropriate in that way. And I often ask the family to blame the doctor. The doctor says you cannot drink. If you do, the doctor will do this. Mm-hmm doctor says you cannot drive if you do drive this is what the doctor will do mm-hmm. 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 it does help to take that away what other kind of issues have you seen in your work with caregivers and, I, and I'm thinking of um, sibling issues blended families step parents stepchildren multiple in-laws right it's <laughs> difficult I can just picture my office with you know, 15 people sitting in there. You yes, probably had that before. <laughs> well, so what I try to do is speak for the caregiver in a medical fashion that perhaps the caregiver can't relate to the other siblings. I often see siblings who try to manage the situation of the loved one, yet they're not involved the way the caregiver is. So... I try to speak for the, the, the caregiver to say, this is what's going on with the loved one. These are the limits of what the caregiver can do. And if you have an opinion or if you think you'd like to make a change, then that has to take place through working with the, the, the caregiver. Or you need to step in and assist more. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they say, well, there's nothing wrong with my mother. She doesn't have dementia. And then I say, I'm here to tell you as a professional that she does, and it would be helpful if you took your mother for a weekend. And that would be a, a, mm-hmm. a best-case scenario, right? Because mm-hmm. really that caregiver is the one who is with them for 24 hours and really seeing the difficulties. Mm-hmm. And often children, they're talking on the phone superficially with the loved one. They're not seeing the reality sure. oh, of sure. it. And there's a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah, siblings who are geographically distant mm-hmm. are going to have a different perspective. That's right. And then those dynamics, too, of 
we, we go back, we regress to what the dynamics were when we were younger. This older sibling or younger sibling always treated us this way. Mom always treated that, my brother or my sister this way. And stepping back and going, that just because it feels like that dynamic is going on now, I'm going to step back and be the adult and person that mm-hmm. the best person I can be and not get pulled back into the uh, you know little brother role or mm-hmm. or the big or sister the big role. sister someone it's, it's just and again that mm-hmm. often is helpful too when the the spouse can be as a team too mm-hmm. my husband and I since we're caring for mom this is what we're going to do if if you don't want us to do this the options are that you can take mom but since we're all together here Mm -hmm. or even Mm -hmm. saying you can talk to the spouse sometimes it's easier that way Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes the other side of that at least I know I'm guilty of that is sometimes I do take it all on and if my husband or my brother want to do something if they don't want to do it my way then then I still you know get on this high horse of well you didn't do it right or you didn't do it the way I wanted it to do and so we have to also be sensitive to if people are asking to help Sometimes we have to let them help in their own way. That's a good point. It makes them feel good, and they can play a healthy role in this journey with Mm -hmm. their mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever role they can play. Good. Um, Isabel, any final words of wisdom that you would like to share with our listeners? Anything we haven't covered today that you wish we'd asked you? Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's such a lonely journey if you don't have friends and family or other caregivers that understand what you're going through. And I just always hope that wives, husbands, you know, any other caregiver can really ask um, and look in the, go to the community and see that there is so much support and not Mm -hmm. to feel alone because we're all walking on, we're all going in this direction of of needing care and that, we do want to make it the best experience mm-hmm. that we can, and it, it can be if we get help. Mm-hmm. And again, look at realistic expectations of what we can and cannot do. Good. Yeah, it is a lonely journey, and you're right. There's a lot of help out there yes. if we're willing and able to. It takes a few minutes to look for it. Thank you, Isabel, and, and thank you for listening to the caregiver community today. Francis and I hope that you've enjoyed, but most importantly, that you've learned some really functional strategies today about caregiving and, and reducing boundaries and not feeling so guilty about the work that you do. The program that you're listening to is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may learn more about the MESH and check out the other programs available for free at www.themesh.tv, and that's the M-E-S-H dot TV. On the site, you can also send Francis and I a question or a recommendation for future shows using the Contact Us button. We also encourage you to find us on Apple iTunes, where you may subscribe to the show and make sure you receive all future episodes automatically. You'll find a link to the Mesh website on our ACAP community website as well. Francis, can you tell us a little bit more about ACAP? I can. Um, ACAP community or these podcasts may be found at www.acapcommunity.org and that is ACAP a, like adult children of aging parents A-C-A-P so www.acapcommunity.org 
or call us toll-free at 877-599-ACAP or 877-599-2227 or email us at info at acapcommunity.org. Thank you. Thank you, Francis. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you. Thank you, Isabel. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.